what's the value proposition? What's your ideal customer profile? What's your messaging framework look like? If you've written all this stuff down, then you're sort of asking people to drive a car with no steering wheel. You really need to have all that defined before you try and position your company around it with content. You're listening to Seedcamp First, the definitive guide to help early stage founders get their companies off the ground. Brought to you exclusively through the wisdom and lessons learned from some of the brightest minds across the Seedcamp nation. Hi everyone and welcome to Seedcamp First. Today I'm very excited to be joined by Tom Bangay, Senior Director of Content and Community at Juro, and Raphael Olsart, Co-Founder and CEO of TLDB. Today we're going to be focusing on all things content, from why it was first determined to be an important part of the business and shaping the early strategy, to execution, measurement and any key learnings looking back that we could all benefit from. So hi guys, welcome. Hello. Hello, thanks for having us. Super, super excited. So first off, I would love for the two of you to just briefly introduce yourselves with a bit of background on who you are, your company and your role. Tom, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So my name is Tom and the Senior Director of Content and Community at Juro, uh, which is a B2B SaaS company in the legal tech space. So what we do is Juro is an all-in-one contract automation platform that enables teams to streamline the creation, execution and management of contracts at scale. We work with fast-growing businesses like WeWork, AngelList, Delivery to power contracts in 85 countries globally. And we're backed by a bunch of great investors, including Tika. Thank you, Rafa. Cool. Hi, everyone. I'm Rafa, the co-founder and CEO of TLDV. TLDV is, you can guess what the name stands for. We usually don't reveal it, but I'm pretty sure you have a good guess already. We help you catch up on meetings and minutes on Google Meet and Zoom. And we are focused on the prosumer going up to B2B. And we are very excited to essentially serve people, spend less time in meetings. We are used by several tens of thousands of users across great companies, seeing great virality from the start of the product to grow within these companies as a product-led company. And I'm excited to talk about content because for us, it's a clear separator on how we go to the market and position ourselves. So on that, Rafa, let's stick with you. What does content mean for you at TLDB? You said it's product marketing-led and a clear sort of area for differentiation. Can you embellish on that a little bit for us? Sure, happy to do so. When we started TLDV, we were looking at the market and the general state of the ripeness of the market, so to speak. And we found that generally the problem is well-defined. Many people feel the problem of having way too many meetings with an average of 16 hours a week in meetings. So this was very clear. And also people were already looking for solutions, like the first entry point to record a meeting, to transcribe it in order to share it with someone. Also, we had a lot of well-established players in the space already that we know we had to pick up the fight with. So for us, we early on looked at content as a way to differentiate ourselves as a challenger brand in that space. We said we're okay if some people don't like our approach, but others really love us for doing what we do. And that was very important from the start and how we thought about content when we basically wrote the first line of text or started the first video with TLDD. Nice. So you really came at it with that challenger brand mentality. How about for you, Tom, at at Juro? Well, I was employee number 12, which is a really long time ago, just four years ago now which is quite early to hire someone into a content function, to build a content function. The main persona that we sell to are in-house lawyers, and lawyers have a very strong sniff test for bullshit, so the trust bar is very high. So you're already at a disadvantage in terms of authority as a startup, and then you're selling to a persona that just 
doesn't believe anything you say. So I think the founders really invested in the idea that the content is going to pay off both short and long term because no one's going to trust us until we showcase our expertise. Also, the sector, particularly legal technology at that time, very overexposed to hype. So there's a point in the sort of mid part of the last decade when you could just write like, AI is going to solve all lawyers' problems. And people are like, great, do you want 200 grand a year? That sounds amazing. And then that period passed and then people are like, hang on, what does this actually do? And will anyone use it? So we really have to be careful and honest, transparent with our messaging, which I think is why we started so early with content. Very cool. What's clear, I think, with both of you is that content has been a really integral part of your respective strategies from the early days. And there's been buy-in, obviously, Rafa, you as the founder and for you, Tom, with Richard and the team at Juro, the belief that actually this was going to be an important part for differentiation. Can you talk to some of those early experiences and any key learnings? Tom, maybe to stick with you, because Juro is obviously a more mature company. You know, you came in as employee number 12. What were some of those early experiments when you first started deploying content as your marketing and like brand armor? The early days, absolutely glorious. Um, I think, so the way I actually joined the company was that I'd interviewed the CEO for some freelance content I was writing before I joined. And then being an entrepreneurial type of dude, he asked me to freelance for him. And I was working at a bank at the time that sponsored a bunch of sporting events. So I was spending most of my time writing about horses and the queen and stuff. And I just didn't really like it. So I was very vulnerable and I went over there. And at first we worked on his personal profile a bit, doing thought leadership. And he was the only internal thought leader that we had. So we did some stuff there. And then after a while, it was just like, well, very quickly, we just thought, let's just do something really big, really quickly. Just take our marketing database from zero to like something. So really early on, we took an approach of trying to leverage better brands basically and try and kind of crowdsource thought leadership amongst the legal community so practically what that meant was we did a lot of interview-led content where i would get gcs to talk to me and i would interview them and then go write and then a half because i had some sector expertise it was always like okay they always signed off and they're always quite flattered and also glad to not have to do it themselves and then we published like an, an ebook about legal operations that got us like I think a thousand new contacts in HubSpot like immediately. It was really good. So we did that for a bit, but that's kind of classic lead gen, not really demand gen. So it, it really helps with brand in the early days because people just associate your company with these more mature ones and assume that they're customers and that kind of thing. But as time went on, we needed to be a bit more high intent in terms of the leads we were capturing. So probably maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago, we started focusing really intently on SEO, which is where I spend probably half my time now strategically these days yeah definitely quite the shift I think it's the putting people at the center of the content rather than just making it about yourselves is it seems so obvious in many respects but so few people actually do it and it speaks to people's own egos or whatever it is but the fact that you were doing it for them, that they didn't have to do it, that they had that flattery of being asked it and was creating great content for you in the process. I can totally see why that was a great strategy. Yeah. And and there's like a real sweet spot as well. You have to, obviously with everything startup related, you have to move really quickly, but if you try and get like the GC of Amazon to be in your ebook or whatever, they're never going to apply to you, but you can spot the people who are in that magical sweet spot of like, quite self-promotional maybe they want a new job also know some stuff quite busy are on linkedin a lot and there's loads of gcs who fit into that bracket so you can find those people and then work with them and not only do you get the short-term content benefit but now you make friends 
and then like you have this magic network thing going on. So in the early days, we also relied a lot on the organic distribution of our content by the people who we'd go to it for. And that again is like if you can get it to work, it's absolutely magic because it costs nothing at all, and you get people sharing it as if it's not your content, and all of their networks download it, and then you just get this big jump in MQL. So it's quite nice, but hard to scale. But I guess the takeaways there is it was intentional. It was targeted in terms of who you were going after. And it had a natural inbuilt virality because by using other people, especially people who perhaps were inclined to self-promotion, you were going to be having all those people helping promote and distribute it beyond the reach of your own channels. Rafa, Yeah. um, Sorry, just just the last thing I was going to say on that. Sorry, it's just that um, we also had... Like one of the reasons why Richard tried to get me in in the early stages, like no one ever really has a content strategy in the early stage in a tech company. It's just a huge mistake. You just get a blog and start writing stuff. Like we raised a million dollars. Isn't that great? And then after a couple of months, you've got no ideas and your blog is now a wasteland. And really early on, it's like you must have a piece of paper with a dollar sign at the top and then some lines that lead from the tasks you do to those dollars. And if you don't, do something else. So even when we were doing this lovely brand sheen content, it was very revenue focused but i just didn't tell anyone on the outside that i can totally relate to that actually from tldv side so when we started out we said great let's start with thought leadership content about how to work asynchronously how to be fewer times in meetings and we kind of thought this as a way to really generate leads as well and it was a great exercise honestly it resulted in a manifesto that we still have on, on tldv today but it was really like the wasteland as tom almost said because the challenge always is with SEO, it takes months to see if it's effectful or not. So if you like, it's a lot of opportunity cause as well, because you take a long time to realize that it was the wrong strategy. And to add on that, you don't have the authority and trust on Google to rank actually for the content you're doing that ad that makes it even worse. So this was actually one of the first learnings we've done. And the kind of conclusion we draw out of that was let's focus on more transactional content as the first strategy that is clearly assigned to an action that the user wants to complete that we can serve and start from there. And that's our first learning that we had with written content SEO as a whole. Can you talk more as well to your content creation when it comes to video and what made you decide, you said earlier that this challenger brand was the feeling that you wanted to put out in the world. What led you to develop the content and the very awesome video kind of collateral that you've ended up experimenting with? Yeah. So what we always had in our DNA and what we always believed in was even when we only, because we started out writing content at the start, we always we're challenging ourselves to have fun with it and be witty as a brand. So this was kind of in our DNA and people that read the content, they did like it. So we said, Hey, there is something it resonates generally with the market, but we didn't see really like results coming in. So essentially when we refocused ourselves, we looked at the market and said, what defines us? compared to the competition and you know it's video clearly like we are video product we really believe in remote you need video to convey information so that's very aligned with the brand that was kind of the first thing like sort of funny very bold and video first and then we said okay how can we align this with viral content and so we did really like a stroll through tiktok and found a great creator and that was really the aha moment of doing that and when we did launch on product hunt for the first time it's pinnacled all to this moment that we said okay let's produce a really great video invest some money with this creator that was an influencer himself 
And the reaction was really mind blowing because it was actually like a sort of untapped territory in product launches. Like they're all very similar. So yeah, in the end, we won the product video of the year on product hunt with that, which was great. Yeah, I have the golden kitty here, uh, which we were super happy about. And that really was the final push for us to say, okay, where can we take this next? And we actually hired the influencer and he's now really running content on social media for us. And we have really doubled down on that and seen great results from that. Speaking of results and I guess measurement, right? Because as we've said, the early days and the early strategies tend to be very much around the brand awareness, building up the thought leadership, but tend to be more lead gen than demand gen in focus. Tom, can you speak a bit about how the strategy has evolved at Jura and how, you know, your personal role has evolved and people that you've brought in as you've grown the team and how the content comes to life now compared to perhaps in those first early days? Yeah, it's really relevant as well because we've been interviewing some PPs and stuff at the moment. And the question around what metrics matter to you and how would you target the team is always like the one where I'm just like glued to the screen. Because over time, we, you know, it's a startup, so we tried pretty much everything. But I would say the trend line has been we've just moved further and further down the funnel. And I think the the more stuff you do, the longer the timelines and also the more data points you have. Almost everything is vanity metrics. <laughs> and it's really easy to get distracted by them. So let's say like you get a page one ranking for the key high intent term, vanity metric. So then like you get a really strong click through from that search engine results page, vanity metric, get loads of traffic, vanity, loads of MQLs, vanity, loads of MQLs, vanity, loads of closed revenue, metric. <laughs> That's a real metric. So at the moment we focus super heavily on pipeline because obviously there's sales performance aspects to what gets closed and product coverage as well. But everything short of pipeline for a company like us, it's just, it's too easy to game it. And as soon as you become a function that's in any way mature and you have like specialists and some budget and you're doing lots of stuff, if your target was, let's say, MQLs and people can get a bonus by hitting a certain number, you just drive the wrong behaviors. So we're very focused on, on pipeline at the moment. And the only way that works all across the team, because we have a demand gen team and a content team, is our attribution is incredible. So we hired a guy called Fadim um, uh, about 18 months ago who built our attribution from pretty much nothing, I want to say. We pretty much know everything that happens with our traffic, like give or take the sort of masked element of Google traffic. And just honestly, without that info, I just don't think we could have been able to scale at all. But as soon as you have it, you can really put your foot down on certain things. And that's been super helpful to us. So yeah, I think just on the team question, the team structure pretty much maps to the things we focus on in content. So the only things we do in content, ideally, that I get distracted every now and then are acquisition, SEO, nurture through community, and then branded sales enablement. So I have a specialized SEO to work on acquisition with SEO. And I have a content editor who works on brand and thought leadership, which is kind of a brand bit and have a content and community manager to manage our private community and then I just delegate and strategize lord from above I love it I think that point though is so critical like aligning the content strategy to actually the core business goals which are generally going to be revenue based goals and understanding that creating these very separate kind of content what we would seem to be, think to be more content specific metrics but that are just pure vanity metrics so what if you have 20,000 Twitter followers or any of those converting into leads and being pretty strict with yourselves about what you actually expect content to be delivering and ensuring the content team is bought in to the business goals as a whole Rafa how do you guys think about that We are thinking very similar, but for example, for our social media profiles that we post heavily on and invest heavily on, 
we count a lot on impressions overall because again like we are in a sort of competitive market and brand considerations like important in getting our name out there but also from a second aspect because TLDV is very easy to be adopted, very easy to be learned. It's usually one person in the organization that starts using the tool. And then you need to think from that person as well, how good do they feel to introduce TLDV to their peers and the team as a tool, as a solution, but also as a brand and company, given that there is competition in the space. We actually see really, really high brand love that helps people actually feel good about suggesting to use TLDV as opposed to a competitor. So in that sense, for us, it's a little bit harder sometimes to attribute. And that's why impressions for us are important and also like a great social presence and a lot of character in the content we produce and brand. But on the other side, obviously, when it comes to SEO, now we're very transactionally focused and that has clear goals of essentially generating signups as the first means. And from there, the product sort of takes over. Um, and that's then obviously what we track across the funnel is, are we attracting the right people? Are they converting correctly? But ultimately, for now, it's signups on, on what we produce on Google and the blog. And what would be the tipping point for you to say, okay, we now need to invest more in this or to bring in more people? Is it kind of reaching a number of signups or reaching a number of impressions? How are you thinking about that? Yeah, that's very interesting. So there's multiple factors to that. Like when you talk about social media, like frequency is super important. And that's actually a point where TikTok is, the algorithm is like a black box almost. On Instagram, we have much more success at the moment. But on TikTok, we even think about scaling right now a little bit more to add more creators into the mix just to grow faster on that platform and serve this piece. But, you know, in terms of SEO, I think that what we are looking at is, I think that's pretty straightforward, honestly, like in the sense of looking at conversions you drive with that through the product and attributing it to essentially retention and then eventually upgrades. And that I think for us can be done and scaled with freelance writers quite well at this point. So we're still a bit earlier than Juro in that sense. How much do you think the founder needs to be bought into content for it to be an important part of the business and the strategy? Rafa, as the founder, I'm going to you first. Okay. I think it's important because if a strategy sort of fails and the founders have a lot of buy-in in the way we've done it, it's helping you maintain some sort of boldness to keep one thing. For example, when SEO failed for us uh, at the early stages, it could have been like, hey, maybe the content is too funny and not serious enough. Like all your competitors are focusing more on the transaction itself. You're adding humorous elements. But if the founders really stand in for that and say, hey, I think we should push in that direction. And for us, the brand is very important, as I mentioned, then I think it helps keep this consistency and then transform it just to some other channel maybe, and then find success there that you otherwise would have not found because maybe you would have iterated faster on the brand. So founder gut, I think is important in that sense. And I think even I do TikTok videos myself sometimes. I think it's important that the founders are involved at our stage and we are earlier than Juro, obviously. How am I not following you on TikTok? I clearly need to get on that. My content is the worst. Don't, Don't follow us. I'm totally about to. Tom, you mentioned that for you, it started as a bit of a freelance and sort of helping Richard build his personal brand. But can you speak a bit more to that founder buy-in and how that's evolved as the business has grown too? Sure. I think uh, I never worked at a startup before I worked for Jero. Uh, so I worked at a bank and a few other companies and, and I worked for Thomson Reuters, which is kind of a possible exit route for two legal tech companies. And I think if I'd known anything about startups, there's like a couple of things I would have done. One, I would have realized it was quite risky to take the job. <laughs> so, number 12. And in hindsight, it all worked out. So 
that's fine. And number two, if I'd known quite how long the shadow is that founders cast, I would have interrogated them a bit more in the interview process. And again, I got really lucky there because they're both great and I didn't really have any problems. But if you had a difficult founder or a founder who perhaps was hiring you because they need some headcount, but they're not totally bought in and that kind of thing, that would be quite bad. So I can only speak for my particular founder, but if you can show that guy like a number on a piece of paper that is important to the business, and then you can show that you can influence that number and you do it predictably, then it helps the company grow. You can do anything you want within reason. You'll get all the backing that you need and support and buy-in and investment with team members and things like that, because those are the kind of people that help startups grow quicker than other companies. So I think I've been really lucky to be enabled in that way at the business level. And I've kind of stayed in the, I guess, like the exco kind of vibe, like amongst the senior managers for probably a bit longer than you would expect content person, because obviously like a VP marketing is going to come in at some point. But the amount of time that I spent talking to and working with and trying to understand our ideal customer just means like I have really great pointed questions and difficult meetings. <laughs> I've clung on a bit in the senior circles there. But yeah, I think probably like any other function, if the founder believes in what you're doing, it's quite hard to go wrong there. But you just need to keep succeeding. Yeah. So building on that, what do you think, Tom? What should companies first thinking of investing in content bear in mind? You need a, a really clear kind of vision of, because if you just want a really great website, let's say you're a super early stage company and you want your website to look really good and people not to bounce off when they arrive and your acquisition channels are going to be like outbound or PPC or something. Like, do you really need content? Is what you need like a digital marketing specialist who understands more about, you know, PPC or like a product marketing specialist who can help you position and all that kind of thing, which we're all later down the line for us. I think if I look back and think about things that I wish I'd known at the beginning, I guess like strategically rather than very specific tactical things. I think if you bring in a content person and you've not sorted out all of your fundamentals, like what's your value proposition? What's your ideal customer profile? What's your messaging framework look like? If you've written all this stuff down, then you're sort of asking people to drive a car with no steering wheel. You really need to have all that defined before you try and position your company around it with content. Because if you start writing loads and loads of stuff and then, is kind of unfocused and you misunderstood who you're aiming at it's just going to miss immediately so yeah the other thing i thought of was having a really clear understanding of what is high intent which rafa mentioned like around transactional seo content at some point things are not going to work or like in our case we sell to lawyers so every year we have to remember not to panic when they will go on holiday for two months in summer and there's no demand it's really interesting like lawyers buying patterns particularly in the uk track exactly to private school holidays so if the kids are off no one's buying anything um so yeah i think that kind of thing like really understanding um if you need to panic and just make sure you only focus on high intent and you stop doing things like brand and thought leadership do you actually know what high intent is and if you can't answer that question properly you're just going to make bad content decisions also we're very very aggressive with our input metrics you've got to be extra confident your strategy is correct but if you're really confident in it and you know you found the right thing go really big really fast really hard it's like press your foot to the floor and that's how you're going to move the needle. I'm taking from that, you've got to have clarity around the actual messaging and the pillars so that there's consistency and you then as well need to be intentional and have high intent and then actually like for it and really put your foot down to go after it because otherwise it's sort of hedging and, and not really making a decision either way. Rafa, how about for you? 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think the only thing I would add, or what actually Tom already mentioned, but I just want to reiterate on, is the general journey. How is your product, you know, discovered, or how should it be discovered? Is it a founder knocking on your door for the first year and trying to really guide you through that journey, which is also what we did, as you're still building version one, essentially, and then maybe that your POC is just showing it to the team. Maybe some thought leadership writing can really help you just to reiterate the values and add some love to the brand, but they're never designed to convert. Or like in our case, we know it's important that people like our funnels PLG, this is where most of the growth is coming from, right? So we want to create content to help people feel proud and excited to introduce GLGB into the wider company. So really understand what is the main goal of your content, I think, and the, along the journey of the buyer, super, super important. And then the other tip that I would give is be realistic along the time. Like if you start content strategy for your blog, like it will take months to, to show results and don't expect it to yield short-term outcomes. I think there should be always other channels in the mix when you look at content as a tool to generate leads and ultimately buyers. Yeah, I think just to add to that last point, which I 100% agree with, it's a really difficult one with SEO because it takes ages. So it's really hard to convince people often, especially in the early stages when everyone's panicking, that it's the right thing to do. But I was having this conversation with someone the other day and they're like, well, why would you stick with it when you can get more certainty that you're going to get some leads by like outbound or PPC or whatever? And my answer is like, would you like a customer acquisition cost of zero? <laughs> like a cost per SQL of zero or whether not customer acquisition cost. Like once you build that beachhead of search traffic that converts, it's just there now forever. And you spend like almost no money or time on it. And that was pretty important six months ago. Now it's like really important to have good unique economics. So it's like you really got to hold your nerve with search. But if you get through the, uh, the eye of the needle, it's great. Love it. Guys, nearing the end. So to wrap up, any last words of wisdom with things you know now that you wish you had known when first starting out with your content? I can go wh whoever triggers the unmute button first. <laughs> <laughs> You're up. <laughs> yeah, a few things like to take away for founders that are just starting with content. I think the first one is be realistic. What is achievable? Again, I mentioned this point earlier because your thought leadership piece is not going to rank on page one of Google because your authority will not be great and you don't have enough backlinks. So, you know, like, oh, very rarely it will. So be realistic there and look at your market, the power you have and your skills to really double down on this. And the other thing is really have fun with it. You know, I think that you need to enjoy the writing. Like even if you write very transactional focused articles on like how to record a Google Meet, you can still have fun and you can still write great articles. And I think that's some red line that you should have throughout your entire content journey at your company and then success will follow. Yeah. Very nice. I agree with all of those. So I thought about this in terms of strategic stuff and then just really like practical mistakes that we made. So I think on the strategy side, we kind of already alluded to it, but if your strategy is not revenue focused, it's got to be top down rather than bottom up and start again. It's never too early to start building your search iceberg. And like, even if, uh, which Rafa said earlier, your domain authority is going to be quite low at the beginning, so nothing's going to rank. But when there comes a magic moment when suddenly your website looks quite good to Google, just get loads of traffic. So the sooner you can build that, the better. A proper attribution is a superpower. So the sooner you can find someone to attribute your traffic, the better. One thing we didn't talk about at all, but has been great for us, is we have a private community of in-house lawyers, like a buyer community. And I would have started that day one because it's just absolute pot of gold. It's really great. And then also focus, do less stuff, and do it better. It would be important. And then on the tactical side, get out of subdomains as soon as you can. So we 
had our content in HubSpot. So we had kind of like our main website sitting on AWS and then we had blog.juro.com. And as soon as we got out of that, traffic went up. And it's really painful doing a site migration. It's like, oh, is this really the thing we need to do right now? The longer you leave it, the worse it is. So just either don't make that mistake in the beginning or get out of it as soon as you can. We have an SEO consultant we work with for one day every two weeks. Best money you'll ever spend. Because just like technical SEOs, you can't beat an agency on salary. So you're never going to bring someone really good in-house. But if you find someone who can just sit you down every two weeks and tell you all the things you've done wrong, <laughs> it's like super useful. Um, don't buy links. Like bought backlinks are like pointless. And then the last thing would be, it's unrealistic you could be an expert on everything. So if you think about the whole funnel, like write good content, capture the ranking, convert it from the results page, like convert it on page. Like I can't do all of that. It's just too many things to be an expert on. So just find people who know what they're doing, either as like informal mentors and consultants or whatever, and just lean on them because it's that Socratic thing. Like wisdom is knowing you know nothing. <laughs> just rely on smarter people to get it done. Well, I feel I have gained heaps of wisdom from this conversation, guys. Thank you both so much. I'm sure all of our listeners will feel exactly the same. Thank you guys for joining. And please do check out Juro and TLDB and all of that awesome content for inspiration. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And don't hesitate to reach out if you have questions. I am always reachable. So just ping. Find them on TikTok. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>